All right, morning. Hey, how many of you loved being disciplined as a kid? Right, you just loved going to timeout, getting spanked, uh, grounded, having your ace of base cassette tape taken away or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that was just me. Uh, <laughs> right, probably not a lot of us. And yet, uh, let me just ask, for those of you that are adults in the room, how many of you are thankful that your parents disciplined you as a child? Right, how many of you needed discipline as a child, right? <laughs> okay, most of us can say, yeah, you know, I'm thankful for that discipline. Now, certainly not all of us. You know, maybe you had a parent that was just completely absent. You know, maybe they disciplined you, but it was abuse and not godly discipline. But I think most of us, in, from an intellectual standpoint anyway, can say that in a healthy home, discipline can be a positive thing. But we're going to talk about today is the Lord's discipline. And this is a topic that um, most of us are pretty unfamiliar with, and yet the scripture talks about it. It doesn't shy away from talking about it. In fact, as we continue in our endurance series today, which is our series where we're doing four weeks, just going through Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to talk about how to endure through more difficult circumstances. Last week, if you heard the message, we talked about uh, how to endure and fix your, by throwing off all the weights that hinder you and fixing your eyes on Jesus and the cross, how to endure. And this week, we're going to talk about how do you endure and how do you grow from if it's the Lord's discipline in your life. Now, there's a lot in our passage today, so I think you're going to want to look at it. If you brought your Bible, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, or you can uh, open up the Renovation Church app that you just had out for announcements time, uh, tap Bible and weekly verses. We're going to look at a lot of different scriptures today. This is our main passage going to camp in, but I'm going to reference a ton, so I think you're going to want to take notes uh, as well. Okay, there's a lot in the nine verses in our passage, and so we're going to take it just kind of a verse or two at a time today. So let's start Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to start right at verse 5. The writer says this. He says, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, Do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So look at the very beginning of the passage. The writer says, have you completely forgotten? And then to remind people, he's going to quote from the Old Testament in the Bible, from the book of Proverbs. He wants to know if we have forgotten what the Bible teaches about the Lord's loving discipline. And honestly, in the American church, I think we have largely forgotten this biblical truth that God disciplines his children. Instead, as Americans, we tend to worship sort of this false version of God whose duties are apparently only to help us get a job, get a house, feel healthy and happy. But the scripture very clearly It's going to say in our nine verses today that the Lord also disciplines you. It says he rebukes you for your sin. He chastens you. And he does so all while treating you and thinking of you as his beloved child. Now, if you've read through the Bible, this actually shouldn't be shocking to you, even though it all sounds a bit foreign to our sort of modern American ears. God disciplines his people actually quite often in Scripture. Um, Some of you might know, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of examples here. Some of you might be familiar with these stories. Others of you, maybe you're just checking out church for the first time, you're exploring your faith with God, you might not be familiar with any of these stories, and that's okay. I'll give you kind of references, too, if you want to look them up later. So let me give you a number of examples here. So in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, chapters 29 through 31, 
God disciplined Jacob because Jacob did all sorts of wreak kind of havoc on his family, and God disciplined Jacob by having him struggle in all the years he lived with his uncle Laban. But it was that discipline that shaped Jacob into who he needed to be. Or take Moses. Now, you can read about this in the book of Exodus in the Bible, a two through three. Moses is the adopted prince of Egypt. But when Moses tries to take things into his own hands and he ends up killing an Egyptian, God disciplines him for that by having him spend 40 years as a no-named shepherd out in the wilderness. And yet it was in that discipline for his sin that Moses learned humility and that shaped him in to who he needed to be to lead God's people out of Egypt. Or if you read the book of 1 Samuel, a King Saul is disciplined a whole number of times by the Lord. And there's a pattern here, softly at first, And as he continues not to listen, it gets stronger and stronger until eventually the Lord just rips the kingdom out of his hands and gives it to David instead. And there are plenty of examples of discipline on the nation of Israel. All throughout, I mean, just read the book of uh, uh, Joshua, the book of Judges is particularly uh, more in Judges than Joshua, but you'll see that the Lord just brings in other nations to temporarily uh, conquer over the Israelites, or he sends the Israelites into exile, all discipline for their sin, but always with the purpose of turning their hearts back to him. Now, before we go any further in this passage, I think it's really important that we kind of cover some theological issues here, because I don't want you to leave here confused on this this morning. Uh, For one, I think it's important that we differentiate between Discipline and punishment, because they're two different things. Discipline is having someone experience consequences so that they can have their character shaped, so they can be restored. You know, just like a good parent disciplines a child for wrongdoing, they're not doing it to pay them back, but to shape their character. Punishment is different. By the way, I think there's a lot of parenting nuggets in this. You study scripture as well today. Punishment is to subject pain or penalty on someone so to make things right. Now, this is so important. God's discipline in your life is never, never to punish you. It's not to make you pay for that big mess up you had last year. The Bible very clearly teaches that Jesus has already taken 100% of the punishment for your sins, past and future. He's taken the punishment, all of it, on the cross. So if the Lord disciplines you in your life, there is not one drop of punishment in it or wrath in it. God is never paying you back for your sins. Sometimes people say that. But listen, the Bible does not teach karma. Now, God might be trying to bring you back, but he's not paying you back. That punishment went on his son, Jesus, on the cross. Let me also clear up another sort of philosophical, theological issue that people, I think, mess up when they look at this passage. If you go back 30, 40, 50 years in American Christianity, I think Christians were guilty of sometimes overemphasizing this particular passage in Hebrews 12. So if suffering came into someone's life, we were too quick to say things like, you know what, I'm really sorry that your spouse died, but do you think it's maybe because of the Lord's discipline in your life? Right? I mean, that's just, please do not ever say that to someone, right? That's awful. And I think the theological misuse and misapplication of this passage was so poor 
that Christians have now overreacted. This is what we do all the time. We do this pendulum swing. We never stop at the logical middle. We just overreact, and now we almost never talk about the Lord's discipline. I mean, you tell me, when was the last time you heard a message in a church about the Lord's discipline in your life? We just don't talk about it in American Christianity, and yet it's incredibly clear. You can't read Hebrews 12 and say that this isn't a real thing. It's a biblical teaching, because sometimes the Lord will discipline you for your sin, and he will let you experience consequences of your sin, pain from your sin, all to shape your character, to bring you back, sometimes to just stop you from going further with your sin. No, if we stop at the logical middle and we stop just sort of overreacting, what the Bible teaches is that hardships that you experience in your life could be, could be the Lord disciplining you. But it also could be a whole host of a number of other things. In fact, I'm going to just very quickly here give you four other things your suffering could be. Because the last thing I want is for you to walk out of this message today and say, all of my suffering is the Lord's discipline in my life. That just biblically is not true. In fact, here are four other reasons for suffering and hardship in your life. Number one, we suffer because humans are sinful, and suffering is often just a natural consequence of our sin and foolish choices. In fact, I'll give you biblical examples of all of these. Uh, In the book of Genesis, when Esau foolishly and impulsively sells his birthright as the firstborn, all to get a pot of stew, he suffered the natural consequences of not being the firstborn anymore. That's just sin consequence. Secondly, Spiritual warfare is real, and Satan and his demons are wreaking havoc all over earth. The book of Job, read Job chapters 1 and 2 in the Bible, and you'll see that Job did nothing wrong. He wasn't being disciplined. It's just spiritual warfare is happening, and it's real. Number three, God sometimes uses suffering to make us stronger as training. A good biblical example of this is when David is a, a, young, a young man and he's a shepherd, a lion comes and attacks his sheep. Now, I imagine that was a harrowing, scary, tragic moment for David, and yet God says, God is teaching through Scripture that it is the very thing that is making David more courageous so that one day he'll be able to fight Goliath. And then fourthly, God sometimes just uses suffering as part of his greater plan. The story of Joseph is probably the quintessential example of this. At Genesis 37 through 50, you see that Joseph is thrown into a pit by his brothers. He's sold into slavery. He gets to Egypt, and then he's wrongly put in jail. I mean, so much suffering. We're doing nothing wrong. All for what? So that God could move him from the promised land all the way over to Egypt and get him second in command to Pharaoh so God could have someone who would be after his heart that would save the whole region from one of the worst famines the world has ever known. But Joseph was not being disciplined. He didn't do anything wrong, just as Jesus didn't do anything wrong when he suffered on the cross. And so there are many, many, many reasons that we suffer And the Lord's discipline of you is but one of those reasons. But it is a reason. We can't throw it out either. Okay, let's keep reading now. So verse 7 says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? 
Okay, so let's say you get to a spot in your life and you deduce that your suffering is most likely a result of God's discipline. Now, it's not usually easy to tell, but sometimes you just know. I've had seasons like this in my life. You just know. Like your heart is wandering from the Lord, and you know it, and there's some pain that's been brought into your life because your heart is wandering, and you know this is the Lord's discipline of me. What the Scripture is telling you is in that moment, it's really important that you remember this one thing, that you are his child. It's going to say that about four times in this passage. You remember who is bringing the discipline? Your loving father. You think about it this way. Okay, two different people could stab you. One could be doing it to hurt you, and the other could be a surgeon who's ultimately trying to save your life, right? Both are stabbings. Both are incredibly painful, but one of them is doing it out of malice while the other is doing it out of compassion. And when God cuts you, he's correcting something. He's like a surgeon coming in to fix something. Here's the challenge, though, as Christians. Let me tell you what happens. When God cuts you with his surgical scalpel, what will happen almost every time is the devil will come in, and he'll begin to whisper in your ear, and he'll say, See, I told you he wasn't good. Look at your life. It's a mess right now. It's so painful, the suffering. Is this even fair? How can you say God is good? I mean, well, God is just cutting you to make you better. But he'll question it every time. And so you've got to watch out for that. What does the Bible say you need to do? Ephesians 6, he says you use the word of God as the sword of the Spirit. So when that happens in your life, and this will happen in your life, You'll go, what are you doing, God? You need to fight back with the word of God. You need to quote this verse out loud right here. And you, you say this, what children are not disciplined by their father? What children are not disciplined by their father? God loves you. I'm going to teach you something from scripture. This is really, this is so key, and I, I think so few people understand this. God loves you the way you are but he loves you too much to leave you that way. A lot of people understand the first part, right? We know this in America. God loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. And sometimes, to bring about necessary change in your life, he has to use his scalpel, not his hand of blessing. I think lots of times... We could understand the Lord's discipline better in our lives if we worked out of the metaphor that this scripture keeps just pulling us back to, and that is the parent-child metaphor. Okay, for those of you that have kids, some of you have young kids, some of you have kids that are grown, if you disciplined your kids, I'm assuming you did in some capacity, why did you do it? Like anybody in the room have toddlers or preschoolers? Okay, some of you, yeah, okay, let's say... Uh, your, your young toddler or preschoolers, three days in a row, they just refuse to put away their toys. Why do you, the next day, then tell them that they won't be playing with that toy today? Anybody have teenagers? We got people with teenagers in the room? Okay, some of you, uh, the prayer table's in the back afterwards, if you need it. Uh, okay, let's say your teenager comes home an hour after curfew, right? Why do you tell them that the next weekend they will not be hanging out with their friends? Why do you do that? What are you trying to do? Well, if you do it right, 
which, by the way, more than half the time, we don't do it right because we're just really, really angry and we want to (laughs) just, right? But if you do it right and you actually exercise discipline right, what you're trying to do is you're trying to shape their character. Godly discipline is not punishing out of anger. It's not, I'm so mad, I want you to feel my wrath. That's That's not discipline. Godly discipline is disciplining your children to experience logical consequences. So you're teaching them that if they're not responsible with their stuff, well, then eventually their whole life is going to become messy. You're teaching your teenagers that if they can't be counted on to arrive on time, then eventually someday their employer is not going to count on them either. What you're doing is you're just you're shaping their character by having them experience consequences. But let me ask you, what tends to happen when you're the parent and you deliver those consequences to your children? Like, okay, let's say you say to your six-year-old, you say, okay, because you screamed at mommy and you told her that you didn't like what she made for dinner. In fact, you told her it was disgusting and you would not eat one bite of it. Because you said that, you're going to need to make your own dinner tonight. If you'd like to eat, here's some bread. Go ahead and make a sandwich. What happens when you deliver that? Those of you who have five or six-year-olds, what do they do? <laughs> I don't know how to make better. I don't know how to make lunch. <laughs> You're so mean. Right? That's what happens. That's what happens in my house. Anyway, I don't know why you... See, in the moment of discipline, they are only thinking short-term, right in the moment. But you, wise parent... Mm. you're playing 4D chess, right? You're thinking long-term. You're thinking about their character, who you're shaping them to be. Now, let me tell you, the exact same thing is happening with God, except this time God is the one playing 4D chess with your life, and you're just living in the moment. And the discipline comes, and the hardship comes, and you look to God and you say, This isn't fair. This is wrong. This is horrible. Why would you do this? But look at me. God is shaping you. He's protecting you. He's growing you into the person that he needs you to be. He's loving you. Okay, look at verse 8. It says, If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate. You're not true sons and daughters at all. If you've never experienced discipline in your life, then that, honestly, that ought to make you spiritually nervous. It says God disciplines those he loves. The only people who don't experience discipline in their life, by the way, are children who are abandoned. God disciplines those he loves. Let me tell you a mistake that we make as uh, modern American Christians when we think about God. Too often... We measure God's love to us by how many good things happen in our lives. If good things are happening, you're going, oh, yes, oh, I just feel God, bless the Lord. Isn't God good? I'm just experiencing this blessing. It's like the barometer of his love for you in your mind is going up and down based on how many good things happen. You know, biblically, you'd almost be better off measuring God's love by how many bad things happen to you. Now, I'm joking. I'm saying that a bit tongue-in-cheek. Think of people in Scripture. Okay, think of like the Apostle Paul. You read all about him in the book of Acts in the New Testament. Paul's life 
ought to knock out any prosperity gospel theology that's left in you, right? If according to the prosperity gospel, if God is supposed to bless you physically and financially based on how much you love and serve him, then Paul ought to have been on Forbes' rich list or something, right? He's bringing the gospel all over the known world at that time. But that's not the case. Uh, Look at his autobiographical sketch. I'll, I'll summarize it for you. You can read it later if you want, 2 Corinthians 11. Paul says that he was put in prison multiple times. He was flogged. He was whipped five times. He was pelted with stones. He was shipwrecked three times. I mean, if one of these things happened to us, Someone threw rocks at you. You got in a shipwreck. You'd go, God, I don't even know if you're real. Mm. Shipwreck. Three times, he often went without food and often went without clothes. And somehow, Paul seemed to know God better than any of us do in our prosperity and relatively easy lives. Do not fear the Lord's discipline or hardship in your life. You know, I've read an enormous amount of Christian biography over the last five years, and I will tell you, some of the greatest Christians of the last 200, 300, 400 years have suffered the most afflictions. It's not all the time, but often that's just how God works. I think this is going to make more sense as we move into 9 through 13. It says this, Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They, that's our human fathers, disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Okay, verse 10 says, God disciplines you for your good. And one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, I've just really been leaning on this one, especially the last six or seven months, is from Romans 5. Uh, verses uh, 3 through 4. We did an entire message on this uh, last year in our When Life is Hard series. And it says this, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Glory in our sufferings. Like, oh, yes, suffering. Why? Because suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character, hope. See, one of the things we teach here a lot is that if you're a Christian for any amount of time, you'll experience what we call a roller coaster of faith. It's just ups and downs in your walk with God. Sometimes God will bring you up to the mountain, and other times he'll walk next to you in the valley of the shadow of death. And in my experience in following Jesus, I've been a Christian for 18 years, my experience in studying the scriptures is that most of the time, God tends to shape us and mature us more in the valley than he does on the mountaintop. I don't know if you're like me, but when I get to the mountaintop and life's going great, I'm more like, excuse me, God, if you just move out of the room, I'm going to need a radius here to pat myself on the back, right? We don't even make room for him. Verse 10 says, God disciplines us for our good. And what does it say next? In order that we may share in his holiness. The suffering and the discipline 
leads you to holiness. That's becoming and acting more like him. I, I heard a man once who, or heard of a man once who, who kept asking God to heal him of his cancer. Now, let me be real clear here. Disease isn't necessarily, you read John 9, Jesus actually refutes this. Disease isn't necessarily connected to the Lord's discipline. Could be. Typically not. But this man, he was praying for healing to his cancer, and it wasn't coming. And so he decided to start praying differently, and here's what he prayed. I'm going to throw it up on the screen. I think this is a a really important question, brilliant question. He said, God, what is it you want to heal in me through this suffering? That's a good question to ask when life is hard. And there are going to be lots of times in your life where, you, you, honestly, you just have no clue. You don't know if it's the Lord's discipline if it's a spiritual attack, if it's a part of some grander plan. But I can assure you, in any case, that the Lord is in control and that he is always redeeming and using our hardship. And in any hard season of your life, you can and you should ask questions like this. Lord, what are you trying to heal in me? Lord, what are you doing? What are you revealing to me by allowing this in my life? There's a brilliant little nugget. It's right at the end of verse 11. Look at this one again. It says, it, so this is the Lord's discipline, produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. See, I think way too many Christians don't let themselves be trained by the Lord's discipline. Instead, they just drown it out. Or they get mad at God. They're like the child whose parent is disciplining them to teach them character and consequences and maturity, and the child never wants to learn from their mistakes. But typically, it is spiritual pain in your life that is the very thing that will finally make you aware that you need to change. Just as if, okay, physically, let's say you started feeling some sort of twinge of pain in your stomach or in your knee or in your heart. What that often is, that initial pain, it's just a warning sign. Your body is giving you a warning light, saying, hey, something deeper is wrong. Go get it checked out. But as humans, most of us, like, we fear pain. Or you don't like going to the doctor or whatever. And rather than digging deeper, we just kind of try and mask over it, right? It'll just take some more pills, some more ibuprofen, or I'll just uh, ice it a little bit, or I'll take another drink, or we try and just mask over it. But your body is letting you experience that pain to reveal to you that you need to fix something deeper that's going on. Well, the Lord's discipline works the exact same way. The pain that you're feeling, the sadness, the difficulty of your hardship will cause you to ask questions that, quite frankly, you would never ask on the mountaintop. It causes you to dig deeper. Say, God, what are you doing here? And so, ironically, it is what I would call the blessing of pain. Not the blessing of prosperity. It is the blessing of pain that most of the time causes us to walk deeper with the Lord and holiness, and righteousness, and knowing his peace. Let me just close by telling you a story about how the Navy SEALs train. Uh, I, I heard this, saw this, this was in a commencement speech 
by William H. McRaven, who's a 36-year veteran of the Navy SEALs. He said when they train people to join the Navy SEALs, that every day during training, that they're challenged with just an unbelievable amount of different physical events. Long runs, long swims, obstacle courses, just hours of calisthenics, all designed to sort of test your endurance as a future Navy SEAL. He said every event, whether it's a swim or a run or climbing up a fake mountain or whatever it is, had metrics. They had times that you had to get in under. And if you didn't get in under the time on even one of the events, you got put on a list that meant that that day you had to complete what the Navy SEALs called a circus. And a circus was when everybody was done training, they were exhausted and they kind of went back to their place, you had to stay for two extra hours and do two more hours of athletic work and calisthenics, running, swimming. You're already just exhausted because you've been doing it all day, and they send you out for two more hours. And he said, listen, nobody in the Navy SEALs wanted to do a circus. He said, the circus was what weeded people out. A lot of people quit because they just couldn't do it. But he said, but at some time or another, you would get put on a circus. We all would. And he said the challenge would be you'd be so tired, and then if you had, imagine this, you had to stay after and do two more hours of running and swimming, what do you think happened the next day? You didn't make it again, right? Because now you're even more tired. And then what do you think happened the next day? Well, you didn't make it again, and it starts to pile up. But he says eventually, though, a really interesting thing happens. He says, here's what happens to those that are constantly enduring the discipline, as they call it, of the circus. He said, over time, it was actually those students who did the two hours extra of work who got stronger and stronger and stronger and faster, and their endurance was better, and it built up this physical resiliency. It built up this inner resiliency to endure. And he, he said, in fact, today, some of our strongest Navy SEALs are the ones that encounter the most discipline. Your life is going to be filled with circuses like that. You're going to fail. You're going to screw up. You're going to mess up. And the Lord will bring discipline in your life. But do not doubt the Lord. He is shaping you. He's working in you. And he's preparing you because you are his child, and he loves you. Let me pray. Lord, we, we thank you for your word today, even though it's different, even though we're not used to it so much. And we just thank you, God, that even as you in your wisdom discipline us, that you are right, and that you do it for our good. And we just praise you, God, that we love you, and we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross, and to take all of our punishment. And we just worship you now with our hearts. Amen.